0: Hello and welcome once again to the Main Point Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Giles.
1: And Tracy Giles.
0: And today we're going to conclude our lesson on a biblical diet, part nine. Biblical diet, part nine. This is our final episode regarding this subject. We may revisit it in the future and add to it. But for now, nine parts is going to be the end of this particular topic. So I'd like to start off by saying that a lot has been taught over the years regarding the subject of a biblical diet. This subject is important to Christians in particular because one of our highest goals is to honor God with our bodies. As the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians,
1: Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were brought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's first corinthians six nineteen through
0: 20. now what better way of doing this honoring god with our body so to speak is by discovering than by discovering what god intends for us to eat so my question is is there a right or a wrong way of eating as far as god is concerned does the bible give us clear instruction anywhere in scriptures in regards to this subject are we allowed to eat all things as long as we give thanks for it prior to its consumption Today we are going to seek to answer these and other questions, not by listening to the prevailing voices in the Christian community, but by diligently searching the scriptures as the Berean did in the book of Acts when it says,
1: Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Acts 17
0: 11. So today in this final episode of A Biblical Diet, <coughs> part 9. Uh, We're going to be analyzing uh, the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 in particular because this has been a section of scripture that's caused quite a bit of consternation and confusion regarding the subject of a biblical diet. But in doing so, we're going to evaluate the preceding supporting text in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 through 11. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3 through 11 is what we're going to analyze before we get to 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5.
1: Why would it be important to consider as a precursor the contents of 1 Timothy chapter 1 in our analysis of 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5?
0: Well, this is important because in order for us to arrive at a a proper and coherent interpretation of chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, we have to consider the overall context as it relates to chapter 1 because chapter 1 comes before uh, chapter 4. After all, it is a letter, and as in most letters, they have a starting point and an ending point with each section or each paragraph, each chapter, uh, so to speak, in this, um, in the Bible, building upon the preceding for a consistent conclusion. It builds to a conclusion as you read through the letter. So let's dive into First Timothy chapter one, verses three through eleven. First Timothy chapter one, verses three through eleven.
1: As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous per- a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, <coughs> for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. What is the core issue being dealt with here in 1 Timothy 1, 3-11?
0: Well, it appears that Paul is urging Timothy to correct some unqualified teachers who are presenting a type of false doctrine in the church at Ephesus. These false teachers have apparently infiltrated the church, and they're spreading this poisonous teaching uh, throughout the the local body.
1: Are we giving any examples of the type of false doctrines they are teaching?
0: Yes, we are. If we look closely, um, based on what Paul says, they are emphasizing the importance of genealogies, and uh, biological pedigree, like grace, for, for instance. Um, Paul says in verse uh, four, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Why? Because they cause disputes rather than godly edification, um, which is in faith. That's in verse four. The second issue that he wants addressed is they are using the law or the commands of God in an unlawful way. In other words, they are applying the scriptures incorrectly um, maybe misinterpreting it leading people in the wrong direction maybe it's man-made traditions Uh, he says that um, verse 7 desiring that desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm so they want to be teachers these guys want to be well versed in the law but paul says they don't even understand what they're saying or what they're affirming Uh, so those are the two key issues uh, that's uh, being spread throughout this local body.
1: What race of people in the Bible held genealogy in high esteem?
0: Well, in the Bible, typically it's the Jewish people that held genealogy in high esteem. Uh, you can see that from the first chapter of Matthew to the early chapters of the Book of Luke, when they talked about the genealogy of Jesus, even to uh, substantiate the the fact that he was a Messiah. But also. Um, John the Baptist, when he was in the wilderness baptizing, we see in the early chapters of Matthew, uh, when the Pharisees came to him uh, to be baptized, he rebuked them, saying that they were a brood of vipers, a brood of a family of snakes, and that they should not uh, trust in their pedigree or their descendancy biologically from Abraham uh, as a means of righteousness. They have to show true repentance. So the Jewish people throughout scripture uh, did hold their Jewish pedigree uh, or their genealogy in high esteem. Well, um, anyway, to support this, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 9, John chapter 8, verse 31 through 41, and then Romans chapter 2, verse 25 through 29. These are just a few references to the Jews holding their pedigree or their genealogy in high esteem.
1: With this in mind, is it possible that these false teachers are Jewish?
0: Yeah, based upon what I just mentioned, it does appear that they were Jewish based on the language, the context, and also the consistent message throughout scripture. Next we're gonna to go to we're gonna go ahead and move on to chapter four, our main theme text of first Timothy, and we're gonna look at verses one through five. 1 Timothy chapter four, verses one through five.
1: Now the Spirit expressly <coughs> says that in latter times Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, or if it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. How would this issue of Jewish false teachers relate to what is being spoken of in 1 Timothy 4 1 through 5?
0: Well, it makes total sense because Paul is simply further describing some of the false doctrines being taught by these unqualified, (coughs) excuse me, these unqualified Jewish false teachers. Now, some of the false doctrines that we see here in verse 3 is that they are forbidding, there's a prohibition on marriage. Verse 3, it says, forbidding to marry. And then there's a prohibition on eating certain foods. Um, we see in verse 3 as well when it says, And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, it's important to note that the Greek word for food there in verse 3 is Strong's number G1033, which is Bromaton. That word actually is translated as meats. So this wasn't a, a general Um, prohibition on food in general, but specifically uh, certain types of meat. Now, could it have been some indication of of certain types of food? Not food in and of itself, maybe washing of the hands prior to eating, like we see in Matthew 15 when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees who ridiculed him and his disciples. But the main thing I want you to understand that that word food in verse 3 in the Greek is translated more appropriately as the word meat. So that would be read, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth.
1: Why would a prohibition on marriage as listed in verse three, be something taught by these Jewish false teachers?
0: Uh, A very good question, and in studying the Jewish race and the Jewish religion, it's important to understand that this wasn't a flat-out prohibition on marriage, as in celibacy. I don't think they were teaching celibacy, but more than likely it was a prohibition on interracial marriage, something that was very um, frowned upon within the Jewish community. These churches in the Roman provinces, and Ephesus is uh, one of the uh, Roman provinces, were composed of both Jews and Gentiles. In this case, the letter is addressed to Timothy whose ministry was to the church there in Ephesus. Now based on some Jewish rabbinical writings, Jews were prohibited from marrying Gentiles during this time in history. Paul alludes to to this to some degree in 2 Corinthians chapter six, verse 14 through 16. I encourage you to go and look that up. But in that verse, Paul is referring to believers marrying non-believers. However, you have to understand that in the mind of an Orthodox Jew, they would consider a non-Jewish person to be a non-believer. Okay, so such doctrine is based on a poor interpretation and application of Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse one through four. It's where they gather that far from, which was given by God to keep the ancient Israelites from intermarrying with the foreign nations that surrounded them when they came out of Egypt. These foreign nations during that time in history did not believe that the God of Israel was the true and exclusive and true God. Let me read it to you. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 through 4, it reads like this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and he cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Gergesites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them or show them any mercy, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons. Why? For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you. Suddenly, as you can see, this command in Deuteronomy chapter seven, one through four, is basically to keep the Israelites from marrying non-believers and thereby diluting their faith and turning them away from the one true God. This culture of unbelief, that's what you had in these surrounding nations, was common there um, in in the majority of the people. However, if these nations, it's very important to understand, if these nations accepted the God of Israel exclusively, they were welcomed in as fellow citizens of Israel. Now unfortunately, Jewish doctrine interpreted this to apply to race instead of faith. To God it wasn't about the race of the people, it was about what they believed. When he said Gergeshites, Parasites, um well parasites, not parasites, I guess they were parasites. But um they that th- th- it was pervasive, it was ubiquitous in their culture to have a have a mindset of unbelief, and that's what God was targeting for the Israelites to stay away from. Let me give you an example in the jewish talmud i mean Talmud I'm sorry, these verses are interpreted like this, so let me quote this is from the Talmud This is from the Talmud the jemo twenty three a it points out, and rashi quotes it in his commentary on the aforementioned verse that from the precise expression of the verse, now this is an interpretation of Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4 from the Jewish Talmud, he and not she will lead your sons astray. We can derive two things. In the event that your daughters marries their son, he will eventually lead astray your son. In other words, your grandchildren will still be considered your sons from the path of the Torah so in other words the Talmud interprets that as these people will lead your children these non-Jews again they're looking at it from an ethnic standpoint not from a spiritual these non-Jews will lead your children away from following Torah <clears throat> and it goes on to say in the event that your son will marry their daughter her children are no longer considered your children but her children they are not considered Jewish So it was an ethnic thing um, for them. Now this Talmudic interpretation is blatantly false, it's racist in my opinion, it's very evil. It is similar in nature to early American laws which prevented whites from marrying blacks based purely on race, and World War II German laws which prevented Germans from marrying non-Germans based purely on race, according to Hitler. Now even modern Orthodox Jews, if you go into their community, they continue this practice and this teaching. Now, Ezra chapter uh, 9 and chapter 10 is another section of scripture that they reference that's been used by the Orthodox Jews over the years to support such false belief in regards to interracial marriage. Now, I know that was a lot, but it was important that I kind of explain what this prohibition on marriage that we see in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses uh, 3, what it involved and what the pervasive mindset was regarding it, if that makes sense.
1: Why would a prohibition on foods be a doctrine of these Jews' false teachers, according to verse 3?
0: Well, for them, it would be to maintain kosher. If you're going to an Orthodox Jewish community today, it's a very uh, strict kosher diet, uh, well beyond the parameters of scripture. They add to what God has established a lot of times.
1: And what would be wrong with that?
0: Well again, similar to the interracial marriage issue, if such a diet was based on man-made rules and traditions derived from a false interpretation of the scriptures related to food, and remember we're talking about meats here, then it would lead a person to error because they would begin to obey man-made rules rather than God and they would go beyond the bounds of the scriptures.
1: Where else in scripture do we see man-made rules and traditions applying to foods?
0: I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 15. Jesus and his disciples, as I mentioned earlier, were being criticized for eating bread with unwashed hands. Obviously, God doesn't have any prohibitions in scripture against eating bread. And Jesus declared that not washing your hands before you eat it doesn't make that bread unclean. The same issue Jesus is dealing with in Mark chapter 7. And then we see in Colossians chapter 2, Paul addressing the issue of um, these additional man-made traditions excuse me, being handed down, that would prevent people from um, engaging in the diet that God gives us in scripture.
1: Is there any place in scripture where we can find the animals God created to be received with thanksgiving according to verse three?
0: It's a great question um, because we do read in verse three that I'm gonna quote, um, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from f- foods. And again, that word translated as meats which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Okay? Those who believe and know the truth. And the answer to your question is, is there any place in scripture where we can find the animals, the meats, God created to be received with thanksgiving, according to verse three, that would be Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. Okay? If you want to know where the animals God created, To be received with thanksgiving is what the verse says. Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. You can clearly see the animals that we can clearly eat and receive and thank God for prior to receiving.
1: How would you define the word truth when it is used by Paul in verse 3?
0: Again, by those who, who, um, let me go back to the verse again um by those who believe and know the truth that's very important that you pick that out exegetically from this verse 3 in 1 Timothy chapter 4 by those who believe and know the truth so you have have to ask yourself the question what is truth what truth is he talking about for believing Christians truth would be ultimate truth would be defined as God's clearly revealed word in scripture regarding meats and foods and marriage God's clearly revealed words Jesus says you will know the truth and Jesus is basing that truth on God's word Jesus himself being the word of God right so the clearly defined edicts and instructions in God's word regarding the meat issue and regarding the marriage issue I encourage you to look at Psalms 119 142 also, Psalms 119, 160, John chapter eight verse thirty two, and John chapter fourteen verse six. How the Bible clearly declares that God's clearly revealed word is the truth that we base our lives on.
1: According to verse four and five, what is sanctified by the word of God and prayer?
0: According to the verse, it says every creature of God. Every creature of God is sanctified by the uh, word of God in prayer. So does that mean we can eat any old creature is the question that will pop into our heads.
1: How would you define the word creature in verse 4?
0: Well a creature is an animal, the the, the dictionary definition is an animal as distinct from a human being.
1: How would you define the word sanctified in verse 5?
0: The word sanctified in verse 5 is Strong's G37 in Hagiazo and it means set apart, special, declared clean or cleansed sanctified is just something that just really set apart it's special it's like the word holy okay it's like the word holy and if we look at that verse again verse 4 for every creature of god is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified, that's that word, Hagiazo, Strong's G37, it is Hagiazo by the word of God in prayer. In other words, the word of God has clearly set apart certain animals, certain creatures set apart, special, that we uh, that we can eat.
1: Does God give us any indication in scripture regarding what specific creatures are sanctified? Set apart, made special, declared clean or cleansed?
0: Yes, as I mentioned, Hagiatzo, Strong's number 30, G37. Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus chapter 11. It clearly sanctifies certain animals. It sets them apart. They're special. These are the ones that you can eat. These are the ones that you cannot eat that are not sanctified.
1: According to verse 4 and 5. What is the reason that these creatures can be received
0: with Thanksgiving? Well, the reason they can receive with Thanksgiving, according to the writer, is because they are sanctified. We don't have to look over our shoulder. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're sinning if we eat beef or if we eat um, mutton or if we eat chicken or if we eat fish with scales. We don't have to worry about it. We can eat it with joy because they are sanctified by the word of God as outlined in Scripture. As a result, we can, with a clear conscience, say grace over it, pray over it, either before or after, it's consumption. Thank you, Lord, for this food I'm about to receive. You can say that, why? Because God has sanctified it, okay? Because God has declared in his word that it's okay to eat these specific creatures. Ones that he hasn't said okay, it's okay to eat. You can't say, thank you, Lord, that I'm about to eat this pork sandwich. Why? Because God prohibits you from doing that. So how are you gonna thank him for eating something that he prohibits? Does that make sense?
1: Mm -hmm. Would Paul's audience have understood him to be referring only to the animals listed in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14?
0: Absolutely. Otherwise they would have rejected his teaching as being against scripture. Because remember, at this time, the New Testament didn't exist. Their Bible was the Old Testament, if we wanna call it that. So that was their authority.
1: What is the main issue Paul is addressing here in the 4th chapter of 1 Timothy?
0: Well, the main issue, if we're going to get to the core of it, is to avoid these to get rid of these false teaching, the false teachers in uh, their false teaching, avoid their doctrine as it relates to genealogy, number one, meaning pedigree. Don't put any value with that in that, because Paul does say in Galatians, there's no more Jew, there's no more Gentiles, there's no more slave or free. You are all one in Christ. Okay. Uh, don't buy into the notion that they feel like you could Jews can only marry Jews. Why? Because that's racist. Uh, what God would instruct us to do is not be unequally yoked with unbelievers race is not an issue next would be regarding food and meats we see the issue jesus even dealt with in matthew when they were criticizing these jewish leaders were criticizing him for not washing his hands before they ate bread right so don't buy into this right Uh, they were probably exercising some extreme form of kosher of, of kosher diet right what paul dealt with in corinthians where he was talking about meat offered to idols as long as god has said that this food is okay to eat according to leviticus 11 and deuteronomy 14 you don't have to restrict yourself and these guys were probably doing that and there was a lot of other things that they were probably do doing so paul is basically saying do not allow them to teach in your church set these guys straight if not it's going to corrupt everything What does he say in verse 3 of chapter 1? 1 Timothy to to Timothy, As I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That they teach no other doctrine. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up this final episode, Biblical Diet Part 9. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, it's been very enjoyable for us. I'd like to close out by saying, and here's a fun fact for you, and I challenge anyone to to look this up and see if they can um, find anything to uh, refute it. But nowhere in scripture, here's the conclusion of the whole thing. We do not believe that the dietary laws that God laid out as it relates to meat, because remember the dietary laws only relates to meat. It does not relate to fruit and vegetables. But the dietary laws laid out in Leviticus chapter 11, Deuteronomy 14, still applies to believers today. To believers in Jesus, believers in Yeshua. God never did away with that. How do we know this? Well, based upon Egypt, we encourage you to go back and listen from episode 1, where we started in Genesis, all the way to episode 9, today where we're in First Timothy chapter 4. Listen to it. We, we lay out many reasons why these biblical laws, these dietary laws, still apply. That's number one. Number two, and this is very elementary and basic. Consider this. Nowhere in scripture is there, is, is there any mention or any example of a biblical writer or biblical character eating unclean meats. I challenge anyone to find that, locate it and let me know. Where it's clear emphatic evidence. Not something that's assumed from the text but it's clear emphatic e- evidence. Right? There's no example. So my question is, why would God give us license to do something in clear violation to, of the text of Scripture in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 without giving us any basic examples of the biblical writers or characters doing it as well? Over the centuries, poor teachings and interpretations on the, regarding this subject have been compounded, particularly when it comes to Paul's writings. Now, seeing that this would occur, the apostle Peter also warned in his letter regarding Paul's writings because they can be difficult to understand. I'm going to quote it for you in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14-16. It reads this way.
1: Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures.
0: And unfortunately, Church of the Living God, over the years, regarding the subject, of a biblical diet in the eating of meats untaught and unstable people have twisted the words of paul the words of jesus to their own destruction and not they're only their destruction but to the destruction of the the believers who listen to them okay they've twisted their words to uh, mean something that is completely foreign to what god intends god never intended for us to eat pork he never intended for us to eat catfish he never intended for us to eat shrimp it's, it's real simple. It's real clear. We have a sanctified diet, diet God wants us to follow as it relates to meat. We are special. We are a holy people to the Lord our God. God has chosen us above all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people and for him to be our God. So with that being said, we want to encourage you. Reembrace the instruction God gives us in regards to a biblical diet in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. I think you'll be blessed by it. We're going to sign out. I hope you have a blessed one.